The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I am joined with the my, the first episode of Just You and I, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, Dan? I'm doing great, Josh. Good, good to be here. Isn't this, uh, I mean, by the way, we are allowed as many trips and stumbles verbally as possible. We are live on the floor of NAEP 2022. With... Yeah. A full complement of people watching and people coming in and injecting. So we could have some really exciting uh, sort of unscripted, unscheduled events. We've, we've already had two of those. We've had, you guys, the audience won't understand, but right before we went live, we, uh, and if you watch us on YouTube, which I encourage you to tune in and check out our, uh, our YouTube channel, uh, we had a guy just walk on set, try to hand us a, a printed out paper that he thought was very important. So I'm, <laughs> if that happens again... We should just let it roll. Yeah, we should. How are you, by the way? Good. I mean, NAEP has been busy. Yeah. Uh, it's a busy week. It's nice to see the world picking back up again. Um, it's nice to see NAEP has both traditional energy mm -hmm. and energy transition as, as topics. So uh, life is good. And yourself? I'm doing great. I actually talked to the NAEP people this morning, and they, or this afternoon, excuse me, right before we went on live, and they said that uh, they're double what they were last year sure. as far as attendees. So, you know, From that's, seven people to 14 yeah, people getting right. COVID. I think oil's probably double too, right? Okay. So we're, we're more maybe than. tracking, yeah, more than. Uh, but I'm doing well. You know, we're just busy. We've got a lot of stuff going. I mean, you know some of the stuff with the new podcast studios and uh, the mobile studios we'll be unleashing. But I, I tell you, I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing this podcast with you this year. And, um, you know, energy and transition is, it's a loaded um, topic. It's a loaded statement. You can do a lot with it. I know we're going to do a lot with it, and, and you, you mentioned renewables on the floor of NAEP. That's definitely a first. How many years have you been going to NAEP? Uh, since it started, I'll, I'll admit to being on the fringes for many years because for a while it was so crowded that there was, you know, you're just kind of pressing through bodies. Um, it thinned out as the, as the sector slowed down, and then COVID kicked in. But um, – I don't know, 10 years, 11 years. Okay. Um, the cocktail parties on the fringes are always exciting <laughs> Those as didn't well. Those did stop. Yeah, yeah. So that, that has been, you know, there's been a little mini industry that's blossomed around this conference. It's fun to watch. Good. Well, you know, I think um, we were talking to our, our guest here a little bit early, and I said you and I are going to talk for a minute. We could do this. I am hyped up on espresso, so I could talk to myself really for <laughs> an hour if I had to. But we won't. why don't you uh, introduce our guest here today, and, and we'll get going. You bet. And... And for those that are watching Energy and Transition for the first time, the goal of the podcast is really to uh, highlight and bring knowledge and education around what's happening in the world of energy, 
That's not just oil and gas. It's not just energy transitions, hence energy and transition. And we thought that a, a great guest would be uh, Glenn Stancil. So <laughs> I'm going to let Glenn talk about uh, his background, but let me just say that, that Glenn is one of the deepest, smartest guys around uh, <laughs> electric charging and EVs that I've come across. And so I'm thrilled to get 45 minutes picking his brain. I can tell you I've spent 45 hours picking his brain, and I learn something every, every time. So uh, with, with that, Glenn, um, tell us a little bit about you. You're the CEO of, of Merge Electric Fleet Solutions, but you're more than that. So I mean, <laughs> tell, us, tell us who Glenn is and, you know, start from the beginning. First the earth cooled, then yeah, is that what happened? Then yeah. Glenn. Okay, okay. Welcome, I can do Glenn. that. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I'm a, a native Houstonian, uh, born, born and raised here in Houston. I've spent most of my life moving between energy and technology. So I've worked in microprocessor design and I've worked in refinery optimizations and all sorts of things. Um, but I've spent the last 10 years in specifically focused in electric vehicles, uh, really building a, a team of folks that is focused on solving the charging problem that sits behind the adoption of electric vehicles. Um, Were you know, there any EVs 10 years ago, Clint? You know, I got my first EV in 2011, so yeah, 10 years ago. And okay. back then you had two choices. You could have a Nissan Leaf with 80 miles of range, <laughs> or you could have a Tesla Model S with 200 miles of range. Uh, so we've come, we've come a long way. I mean, you know, today there's probably 20 models that you can choose from, from all sorts of manufacturers. Uh, I read recently we're expecting 85 new models to arrive in the next three years. So there are announcements every day that are, that are coming out. So... Um, you know, that's one of the biggest changes certainly we've seen in the last 10 years. It's just an enormous, uh, I'd say that the auto OEMs have now embraced an all-electric future. Uh -huh. um, whether it's the, the, the plants that they're constructing to build factories, uh, the, the platform technologies they're investing in, they really have now embraced it. They're marketing it, they're pushing it, and from all aspects. And I don't want to jump too far, cause, but you say an all-electric future, all-electric. I mean, you seem... I, I, I think they have a vision of getting all-electric. Now, it's not it's not five years from yeah. now. It, it may be 20 years from right. now, right? And and that electric will transition, you know, hybrids will be in there. You know, we'll have hybrid electric, uh, pluggable hybrid electric, and, and eventually all-electric. There are some categories that are particularly difficult to do right now, you know, uh, We've, we finally have a pickup truck coming. I couldn't be more excited, right? I cannot wait to get my hands on an F-150 Lightning. Uh, but try to tow a trailer with it? Okay, that, that's going to be a challenge for a while, right? Yeah. So it'll take time before we get things like Super Duty and, and those types of trucks out there. But, but I think that's one of the biggest changes over the last 10 years is we've, we've finally got an array of products that appeals to an array of customers. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one is we finally have charging that can support that array of products that can get you across the country, right? You can, you can move. I, I frequently drive to Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, and, and don't have to worry about it. So. Cool. You know, those are two big things that have changed in, in the 10 years that, that I've been doing Right. This. And, Glenn, so back up a little bit yeah, because... Sure. Uh, I got excited. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. It's, it, it's, in the earth cooled. It's, yeah, it's, it's all good. So 10 years ago, you got in this business. Yeah. You were an entrepreneur. You were working for a company. Give us give us a little bit of your resume just so the audience can, can sure. kind of understand sure. your background. Sure. So if I, if I back up all the way, um, I, I'm an electrical engineer, University of Texas, as I mentioned, spent really time in microprocessors. I was not a power guy. I made fun of the power guys uh, oh. when I was in school, which I regret in hindsight. Um, uh, after that, spent some time in the energy industry, uh, mostly refining and gas pipelines. 
had the privilege of going to graduate school at Stanford at the business school. Uh, worked for a number of technology companies out there, wireless data communications, GPS, avionics, micro, uh, uh, semiconductor manufacturing. So a variety of different things and then ended up coming back to Houston to work in the power industry in 2003 with uh, Reliant, mm -hmm. um, subsequently NRG. Uh, and then while at NRG, uh, we, we started up EVgo. So we uh, kind of a back of a nap, again, on a flight back from Japan, myself and David Crane said, look, we're not the car, we're the plug. And how do we, how do we build a business around the plug to fuel EVs? And that's how we started, started EVgo. Uh, did that for a number of years and then um, started another small company to help uh, other automotives get electrified. So working with automotives to help them build out charging and charging technology, a uh, small company called Emotive. Um, and then uh, last year, um, we formed Merge. So I formed uh, Merge Electric Fleet Solutions with a group of folks I'd been working with for about 10 years. Um, so the company's new, but the team is old, has spent a lot of time in the industry building out charging services. Um, our focus is helping fleets electrify. Um, uh, electric vehicles aren't as simple as gasoline vehicles. Gasoline vehicles, you know, have been made amazingly simple. We, we have an incredibly powerful liquid fuels chain today. Right, it is, it is so simplistic. There is one model for fueling every vehicle, no matter what the use case is. Um, most companies you know, simplify the problem to a card that somebody takes to a retail gas station. Most companies don't operate their own gas stations, their own fueling facilities anymore. Um, so that's incredibly easy. EVs can be difficult. Um, you've, you know, the, there's a lot of different ways to fuel an EV. Um, the cost of those and the complexity of those can, can differ. You can fuel at home. You can fuel in a depot. You can fuel in public. Um, they, those all have different implications and different cost structures, depending on how you do it. So, real quick, back to the formation. I saw yeah. that there is the new company. Yep. And I, I wasn't sure if that was a, if you were bought, if you were sold, merged. But you you actually started this new. Yep. And, Dan, you're involved in this as well, correct? I'm trying to just make sure I'm reading this right on the, the No, that's, bio. that's right, Josh. So, one of the reasons I could twist Glenn's arm is, <laughs> is we... When we learned about what he was doing and, and kind of the vision for his business, we, we didn't want to just learn about it. We wanted to invest in it. So Pickering Energy Partners is a Series A investor in, in Merge. And so, um, you know, I have a, a definitely I'm self-interested in, in folks knowing more about the business. But we were super excited about the opportunity set. And that's why I wanted to get Glenn on, because I feel like he can talk to us not only about how things are going to happen in the EV world, but but take it a step further, you know, how's it going to practically work for businesses? Mm -hmm. So, you know, back to the whole concept of this podcast, it's, it's not enough to say energy transition is coming. It's how and why and, 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 and help people understand how that happens. So I think it's important just to, this is going to be the first, we, we've already done an, uh, I'm sorry, Glenn, for once, yeah, I have to digress for a second here. We've done the first podcast of uh, introducing you, you and Leslie and myself, but really, this is a, an electric vehicle conversation on the floor of NAEP. And I think, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, yeah. That, that almost tells you everything uh, you and need I want, to know about the And I want the audience to understand is. that, yeah. you know, we've, we've had two people come up and approach us, and they see the energy in transition. This is, I mean, we're very clearly an all-of-the-above group of people. Yes. yes. So, I mean, I, I want to be very clear. Like, this is a, this is, we're trying to get to the bottom of the inevitables, not so much as the, you know, what's happening. This isn't the... This isn't, we're pushing certain things out. This is happening. It and is. I remember when I, you, you talk about 10 years ago, I, it feels like it's an unbelievable amount of time that that's only 10 years ago, yeah. right? It feels like, you know, Tesla's been around forever. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, they've done an amazing job just becoming part of our lexicon and our, our life now. And 
to think that, you know, you mentioned the, the F-150 Lightning. I know country boys in Odessa that can't wait to get their yeah, hands exactly. on the, yeah. the F-150 Lightning, yeah. right? So it's certainly part of the mentality of a lot mm-hmm. of our, of, of just people. Absolutely. And it's not, it's not a sleek Tesla anymore. I mean, there no. are some slick other GM. I heard actually GM builds a better battery electric vehicle than even Tesla. I mean, I don't know if this is to believe, be believed or not, but I mean, this is, again, coming from the person on the outside, this is kind of what I'm hearing is some of these, this battery power is, is really first class all across the manufacturers now. Yeah, there's rumors on the GM platform. I think they call it the Ultinium, uh, or I can't remember, something like that. But there are certainly rumors that they have a, a very powerful platform, and they plan on using it across a variety of vehicles, some very high-end like the Hummer that we've already seen. Uh, the Silverado was announced, I think, at CES. That looks like a really, really powerful con- contender as well. And then all the way down to the Chevy Equinox, yeah. right? I mean, you know, the, the, the basic vehicles. And I think they've got a very scalable platform that's going to serve them quite well across that range. They're the first ones to announce a Super Duty truck. They're saying 2025 for a Super Duty. Uh, we'll see. How, we'll see how that does. Is Merge agnostic to which platform they use? We or? absolutely are. We're, we're trying to solve the customer's problem. What okay. is the right vehicle and the right charging solution for your use cases that you have in your company? So we we like to talk to. We, we like to make sure that while com- while certainly fleets do have some brand preferences, we wanted to make sure that they're open to a variety of different brands and models that can solve the problem they're trying to solve. And again, Dan, I'm sorry. I'm just. I've told you too much caffeine here. I'm hyped up. <laughs> so when you talk fleets, you're talking anything from an. Uh, an Amazon fleet yep. to a what? I mean, give me some give me examples of when you say fleets. What are what's what are we talking about? I mean, it could be Tiff's treats, right? They yeah. they deliver treats to people. It could be uh, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, pharma uh, salespeople running around in fleets, right? It could be this this industry. We have talked to a lot of the players on this floor about electrifying their vehicles and their EMP fleets. They're a great fit, but they need trucks. That's why we're so excited about trucks. Oh, trucks. Cool. Trucks and vans are the workhorse mm-hmm. of American fleets. If you look at fleets, they're about 60, 55 or 60% light trucks and vans, about 20% uh, sedans, and then about 20% heavies. So that's what I, when I hear fleet, I think trucks and vans. I, when you said the salespeople on a, on a, you know, like a pharma sales, I wouldn't even have thought of that actually. Yeah, but tons that, of company cars. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And the pharma industry is under a lot of pressure because a lot of them are European owned. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pressure on those guys. In fact, they're probably some of the most aggressive when it's come to setting targets for being, you know, 100% electric vehicles by 2030, as an example. But, but Glenn, why? So two questions. Yep. You said you're focused mm-hmm. on fleets. Mm-hmm. Why not people? Why not individuals? <laughs> That's question one. Sure. And, and the other is, I mean, what's the what are the economics? I mean, why electrify yeah. a fleet at all? I mean, we have lots of gasoline cars. Why not do that? Yeah. Why not just stay where we're at? Yeah, absolutely. So um, why fleets? Well, um, fleets have high utilization and predictable utilization, right? They're going to get good payback on the electrification of a vehicle. So typically what you're seeing with electric vehicles is you pay a premium up front to get savings on the back. And that savings comes in terms of fuel and maintenance savings. So it's really what they call a total cost of ownership decision. You're thinking about the complete life cycle of the vehicle when you make a decision to purchase a vehicle. And in the case of electrics, that TCO decision is important because you're paying a premium up front. Um, yep. You said fuel. So that's electricity is cheaper than gasoline? Electricity is cheaper than gasoline. So um, as an example, $3 gasoline, you know, which I, I'd argue is about where we are these days. Is, in, t- in, is, Texas. Yeah, in Texas. Yeah, in Texas. Is the same as about... Uh, uh, well, I'd say 
40 cent power. So what that means, if you're getting 10 cent power at home, you're getting 75 cent gasoline. Okay. So it depends on how you, how okay. you want to look at it, from which direction. So it's fairly, it's fairly there, dramatic. There, there's a fair bit of savings involved, and you look at a gallon of gasoline, a kilowatt hour of energy. Now, there's some complexities in that kilowatt hour of energy. You've got to have a charger, right? It's got, it's got a capital which equipment. Which you have to, to pay for. You've got to pay for yep. it. You've got know, to plug into the car. But there still is a, a savings element that comes out on fuel added to a savings element that comes down on maintenance. And then that value is what pays the premium that may be up front. Why, why is maintenance cheaper? Uh, well, no oil changes. You don't wear brakes. There's no transmission fluids. You know, I, I've owned EVs for 10 years, and I do two things. I rotate the tires, and I replace the windshield wipers. So it's very simple and easy maintenance. What do you mean you don't? The brakes. How are the brakes affected? You just well, it, it's uh, they have what's called regenerative braking. So they use the uh, the, the the motors. They, they kind of reverse the polarity, creating magnets okay. that pull the energy out. When you're so letting off the gas. When you're letting off the gas. Yeah. yeah. So if you've if you've ever driven uh, like a Tesla has one pedal driving, right? And you can kind of just use one pedal the whole time, and all it's doing is adjusting power in. You use it as a as a, a motor or a generator. I'm more right. of a golf cart guy, Glenn. But, yeah, yeah, but I understand yeah, that yeah, yeah. concept. <laughs> You yeah. strike me as a golf, golf cart <laughs> guy, Josh, <laughs> for sure. The ultimate electric yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Glenn, you, you, you started talking about kind of the pace of sure. adoption of EVs, yeah. and you said maybe we're all electric in 20 years, or it's the production of vehicles might be all electric in yeah. 20 years. Can it really go that fast? I mean, can batteries... Can we have enough batteries? I mean, how, how many cars a year do we sell in the U.S.? Uh, about 17 million a year. And... And how many cars, how many electric vehicles can we produce right now? Um, you know, I, 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 last year we were 4% of production. 4% of, 4, of 17 4% of 17 million, give or take, is what we did. So we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are 300 million vehicles on the road. So if you talk about turning the portfolio. In the U.S. In the US or in the world? In the, yeah, US. in the U.S. 300 million in the U.S. So if, if you're selling roughly 15 million a year, let's make the math easy, it's 20 years to turn over a portfolio if we started selling all EVs today, which we're a long way from doing, right? We're 4% right now. And Dan, to your point, to get from 4% to 100% EVs um, is a supply chain challenge, right? It, it, it really is. It's, it's batteries, it's copper, it's lithium, um, it's manufacturing capacities of cells and packs and vehicles. The entire industry has got to change and it isn't going to happen overnight. So... You know, personally, I think, you know, the, the energy transition is a 30-year event. And even in 30 years, I'm not convinced we'll be 100% electric on the vehicle side. Uh, there'll, there'll be some vehicles like your, your very heavy vehicles, your semis that pull 80,000-pound yeah. loads across country. Um, we, I, we may never get those electric. You know, you know, that, that's a tough problem. I, I like I used to have a guy that worked for me. He was the best person I'd ever met at stopping a situation in mid-situation and saying, is this an outlier or is this actually uh, something we need to worry about? Uh, and, you know, a lot of people think, well, I can't, have a, I can't have a gas or an electric vehicle. I drive too much. And you're like, wait, what are you talking about? You drive 40 miles a day, yeah. every day, yeah. right? And then once a year, you take your family to Florida. That's the one. <laughs> right? but, but people buy cars for that once-in-a-lifetime right. event that they never do. Right, exactly. Right? And, and that's part of, you, you mentioned consumer versus fleet. Consumer decision-making is a sticker price. It's not a TCO decision. It's what is the sticker price or what is the multi, monthly payment. <clears throat> and then it's, well, what happens when I have to take my extended family on a trip to Colorado in the middle of the winter? Well, I need a four-wheel drive Suburban right. Right, for that day. But every other day, that, that huge vehicle has one person in it driving 30 miles. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, to me, that mentality is is one that I think changed. I mean, truly, that's the thing you see the most in the media is that exactly. is what you just described. Yeah. But ultimately, I mean, a fleet is I don't see how I love the idea of a, a fl- and look, I'm not saying this because you're our guest or not. When you break it down, when I really heard some of those numbers on how far is the average person really driving, it really does become, well, that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. That really does make a lot of sense. If you're just going, you know, my wife, she's she's great. She runs her errands, but she's not driving mm-hmm. 100 miles a day. Yeah. And I don't know how long, I really don't know the answer to the question, how long a car can go on one charge, 200 miles, 250, somewhere in that range. Uh, but that's it, but I, I'd say the modern EVs are running 200 to 350 right now yeah. <clears throat> per charge. Glenn, let's take... Let's look at Amazon, sure. which is something that we all yeah, we all touch, we all see. <laughs> so <coughs> you can Amazon. barely drive anywhere without yeah. seeing an Amazon van parked somewhere. So they're talking about electrifying. Mm-hmm. Why haven't they? How long will it take them? What's the TCO for an Amazon switchover? Yeah, so um, Amazon is electrifying. They, they have custom-built vans from Rivian that are on the road in small numbers right now. They're committed to be 100% electric uh, for, for a number of corporate reasons. Um, Amazon, if you look at last-mile delivery, which I'll put Amazon in that category, uh, those vans drive about 80 miles a day every day, uh, either five or seven days a week, depending on the carrier. Um, and the TCO is very positive for those guys. Now, it's going to be a question of the price of the van, and, and that's what we don't know. We don't know what Amazon is paying for the Rivian vans yet, um, but our, our, our estimate is that van is coming in at about a 25% premium to a typical Ford you know, van that, that they would drive. A gas-powered a, van. A gas-powered van. And, and if that's what you believe, then you look at the economics, and it is a very positive thing for them to do. Now, why aren't they doing it more aggressively? Well, it, it comes down to product, because they can't get enough product. Vans can't be produced fast enough for them to get hold of. And, and recently, they announced that they're not just buying Rivian. They're willing to buy vans from anybody, which tells me is they're not able to get enough supply from one company. So they're opening up the aperture to work with whoever they, they can. And keep in mind, Amazon is a major shareholder of Rivian, yeah. right? So that, that tells me they really are in desperate, you know, they, they desperately want more vans and just can't seem to get their hands on them. And so... So we think the math works for them. Absolutely. So it is a net present value positive decision because of this lower electricity cost and, and lower maintenance. So it's bottlenecks that is the reason they don't have more. H- how long do you think it takes to resolve these bottlenecks? Mm-hmm. When, when will they, if if Amazon's the best buyer in the yeah. world and going to get it everything the fastest because they're money whipping everyone? How long does it take? the normal mm-hmm. fleet to be able to feel comfortable they can get vans. That's a great question. Or I mean, I, I, I would think if a, a, Amazon, I think, is fully electric by 2030. Okay. When I just look at so how nine long years. it takes them. Nine years. So I, I think other folks, it's 15 to 20. I mean, That's, it's, it's going mean, to take some time. Nine years sounds incredibly fast for a company that big. Yeah. Well, and also keep in mind that Amazon is a series of small companies, right? The, the people actually deliver your 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 boxes are actually they call DSPs, delivery service providers, small contractors of 15 to 20 vehicles that basically Amazon utilizes to deliver okay. all these vehicles. So, so they outsource some of that. They effectively outsource a lot of volume. So you've got to get to a value proposition that works for a small business, right? These are hundreds of small businesses that do this. Interesting. And, and I, that's what cool. Amazon will be aiming for. But I, I do think it is a long transition. You know, it, 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 yeah. it just takes time to get the right product and the right volume and the right quantities to get there. But I think the economics are compelling for companies yeah. to do this. It's funny. Josh, you say, 
wow, that's really fast. I'm sitting here saying the, one slow. of the biggest <laughs> companies in the world is going to take them nine years to do something that they've got the money to pay for right now. That, that seems like a pretty long time to me. So it's just an interesting well, difference in, in perception. Well, when there's no there, – I'm saying that because he says that we can't even get product. Yeah. And you, and you watch, and I think, you know, uh, Musk gets all this attention for how many cars he's producing. And he's still so far behind what a GM would produce on a gas. And so, I mean, I, I see that production is picking up and supply chain. You know, how, how quickly can we get out of this COVID hangover, if you will, yeah. of supply chain to yeah. kind of get back to some normal yep. supply chain yeah. uh, streams? Well, in the automotive industry, we're dealing with the, the, the I guess, the supply chain issues with the classic automobile, right? The, the chips sure. and everything else. Yeah. Once we get through that on the electric side, you know, we're going to begin to hit challenges in raw materials and manufacturing capacity as, as, the, as, the, as the demand is ramping and the supply is trying to catch up. So let's, so great discussion on EVs. Yep. Let's drill down even a little bit more detailed EV charging. Sure. So this is the equivalent of the gas station. Absolutely. Um, you said at the beginning that there are a number of ways people charge, but... So talk to us about about how that whole market's going to evolve. Um, are we all going to have you know an EV charger in our house when we buy a new a new house, mm -hmm. or what about people that live in apartments? And so, or what about yep. fleets? Are they yep. people going to charge at home? Just make us smarter on that. Topic. Yeah. So so you know as I mentioned earlier, gasoline fueling is wonderful. This industry has built the simplest approach. You know, it, it's a pump. It's a flat cost structure. It's everywhere. It's simple. Um, by, it, by the way, it only got there over a long period yes, of time. Hundreds, in 1920, years, yeah. it wasn't everywhere. It took time. Inter Same sort of thing that we're talking about now. Yeah, energy exactly. in transition. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, let's, it is. Let's it's, hope it's not 100 years. But yes. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, but on the electric side, um, the, you know, the beauty of electricity, it's everywhere, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere you go, we have electricity. The challenge is getting it in enough quantity to, to fuel a vehicle as fast as you want to fuel it. Um, so, you know, the beauty of having it everywhere is you can charge at home, you can charge at work, you can charge in public, you know, pretty much anywhere you want to. Um, the most convenient place to charge, of course, is where your vehicle spends the night. So if you're, if you're a consumer and your vehicle spends the night at home, plugging your car in at home like you plug in your cell phone is the simplest, cheapest, and easiest thing you can do. Now, the challenge is you may not own your home. Um, or you may not even have a place to park, right? So that, that's, that's where it gets a little harder, and you start to look at things like multifamily. Um, multifamily businesses need to get into the fueling business at the end of the day, right? They need to provide these types of services to the tenants who live in these buildings. Um, you know, for, for retrofitting buildings, that takes a lot of capital and a lot of effort and a lot of time. Uh, I think it will be done because it's the right thing to do. In the interim, though, if you want an own EV and you live in an apartment building, you're probably going to your local grocery store for, you know, 30 minutes twice a week to plug your car into what's called a fast charger. So if you break down charging, you've got what they call AC charging, alternating current charging, and DC charging, direct current charging. So the AC charging is typically um, anywhere from 10 to 40 miles in an hour. You plug it in and you'll get somewhere between 10, 40. 10 is your, you know, your little outlet on the wall. Your laptop. You plug, yeah, your, you you plug, plug it in there, time. you get about 10 miles an hour. And that's all you'd need. And honestly, if you're only driving 30 miles a day, plug it into the outlet in your garage, you're good to go. Right? It'll, it'll give you 30 miles a day, no problem. If you plug it into something like your dryer outlet, if you've got a dryer outlet in your garage, um, that's going to get you probably upwards of 70 or 80 miles a day, right? A lot more a, than that. 70 or 80 miles a day? A night, a, sorry. A yeah. night. When, when you charge it overnight, right? Plug it in for eight hours, you'll probably get 
you know, eight, 70, 80 miles every night. Pl plenty, plenty of range, I would yeah. argue. Um, if you plug into a DC fast charger, now we're moving to very high current charging, very high power charging, uh, upwards of 350 kilowatts. And in a 20-minute period, you can put 300 miles in a car. Wow. Now, not as fast as gasoline. That's gasoline still... is unbelievable. Um, but, but, you know, not bad. Not yeah. bad. That's a, I mean, that's an interesting point. When I pull up to the gas pump mm -hmm. in my Land Cruiser, it takes me five minutes to fill the tank, and I get 300 and some, yep. 350 miles. Yep. If I pull up to the DC fast charger, you're saying I get that same 350 miles in... 25 minutes. 20 okay, minutes. Yeah. so two and a half times longer. Now, uh, it, it depends on the situation. If you're traveling, you know, on and, and a road by, trip... By the way, I have a Land Cruiser, too. You're, <laughs> you're not getting 325 miles to the, to the, tank, to on the, the tank on that one. Yeah, they, he's getting a lot... Wishful <laughs> thinking. Yeah, Wishful it's, thinking. It's, he's getting a lot further in that 20-minute charge than we are on that five-minute fill-up. There we go. But if you're filling up on your way to Austin at the Bucky's, you're going to spend 20 minutes there anyway. Yeah. Right. That's you know. Fair now, point. It, it's it's the local fill up. It's the I'm on my way home and I want to get you know I want to get home but I'm out of gas. It's it's that I really don't want to stop but I have to five minute stop. Mm -hmm. the, the, that's when the five minutes is important. Right. It's less important when you're on a road trip. Right. I think. Yeah. And and when we think about today's gas station environment. Yep. yep. Um, we have the the pumps. We've got the C stores, and at least I think those businesses make money. Do mm -hmm. do electric charging businesses <laughs> make money? Yeah. Um, electric charging in of itself has a difficult time making money, especially DC fast charging. And and the reason is uh, twofold. One is utilization. Is we, we don't have enough cars on the road to get the utilization high enough to cover the fixed cost. Um, and wait, wait, say, say that again. Yep. G give it give it to me in in Dan Pickering yeah, simple sorry, speak. Sorry. So. So we, there aren't that many cars yet. That's right. And and so that's that's the issue. We just don't have as many cars as yep. we need to keep yep. a, 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 a DC fast charging station busy. Yeah. And and most folks who own a, an electric vehicle today get 95% of their fuel at home. They, they okay. charge at home. So it's not very often that they're going. Right. So fewer cars with less usage per month yep. gets you a lot less usage. Okay. Right? So, so why... Why are people building out uh, public charging networks? I, I mean, I, I think it's a, a hope for the future. Um, okay. it, it's a belief that, that I will build it and they will come. And I, I'm not saying that's incorrect. Um, there, there will be more EVs on the road. There will be fleets who need to electrify, who will need to put their employees' cars at places where they can't charge, right? So I may have a pharma sales rep who's going to drive a new Polestar, um, and doesn't have a place to charge his multifamily and is going to have to go to one of these, these fast chargers to, to fuel that vehicle. So th there, is demand, there is demand coming. Um, you know, I think the challenge is when it will be here. And I think the other challenge is that you probably need utilizations north of 30% to get the financial break-even on a DC fast charger. And 30% is high. That's on a 24 by 7 basis. Um, yeah. it, it, it's going to be difficult to hit those numbers. Um, like just for your average gas station, you're saying, right? Yeah. I mean, your or average your ga convenience store, you, you, however you Your kind of tor top quartile gas pump, top performing station, has just over 20% utilization. So this would say that we're going to have to increase that utilization by 50%. So that's a volume thing of cars. Yeah. 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 Which means people could be waiting in lines, and we don't wait in lines. You know, that's it's interesting. The These are so, it's so crazy. These are questions you don't even think about. I mean, I've, I've never even thought about 
because I know at a gas station makes five percent on the gas. That's what mm-hmm. they that's what they're making on gas. Uh, a friend of mine owns a convenience store. Yeah. They've they've made money for thirty years on it, right? And you, but you don't even think that should I put in an electric charging station there? Uh, and the answer is yes, you should. But it it almost it feels like it could answer the question of if I live in an apartment or if I live in you know multifamily, and there's a convenience store close by that is set up for the community, if you will. Uh, of local places where that that is a place you go, um, it, I guess it's, it is a convenience. You're, you were saying that you don't wait. We don't wait. Americans we don't, don't wait for long, no. for things, mm-hmm. let alone gas or electricity. But I just it's I, I'm sorry to kind of digress into that t- comment. I these are just things you've never thought about having to prepare for. This is really where it's going. I promise you, Josh. If if you have an electric vehicle, right, you start thinking about them. You do <laughs> <laughs> because. Do you have an electric? I do have a Land Cruiser. So I had a Tesla (laughs) a a while ago, and I love the car. I view it as a consumer product because it was really expensive and really fun and kind of really inconvenient at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially at that time. Yeah, Yeah. uh, because there weren't many places to charge, and um, I worried a lot anytime I strayed too far from my house. Um, So... Isn't there a, a comment? What do they call that? Uh, like range anxiety. Yes. What is it? Range, range anxiety. anxiety. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's real. It is a real phenomenon. Well, but I mean, again, this is why you can't keep. It's not really a fair thing to say. Well, one's good, one's bad. Like so, on the back to the Land Cruiser, it, we get twelve miles to the gallon in our cars, right? Mm-hmm. I had to put in a an extra twelve and a half gallon tank on my car just to get extra range because even if I was driving to Dallas or Fort Worth, you can't make it up there on one take. Basically, I mean, you just can't. You're you're running out and having to pull over. Well, now your tank lasts longer than your bladder, so <laughs> you're, you're going to have to stop somewhere. To but, demographics. Yes, yes. It, it's just so, it's, it really is interesting when you think that the trade-off is, isn't as much as you think it is, and then ultimately, what does, how quickly does it become to where, you know, you do have a Tesla or you do have whatever electric vehicle, and it's, all right, I'm going to be in this for 10 minutes longer than I would to fill up gas, but yeah. 10, what, what's 10 minutes when yeah. you're waiting? Well, and if you're paying that 10-minute penalty a few times a year because you can fuel at home, it's well worth it. How many times yeah. do you not stop at the gas station, right, the savings you get there? I, I, I want to ask one quick question on the, so the charging at home. So we had on, on one of our other podcasts, uh, a Sole, um, Sonova. Oh, CEO. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, John Burger. Burger, yeah, absolutely. I mean, God, guy was yeah. smart, yeah, cool. sharp, great. sharp guy. Yeah. And, you know, he was talking about these Tesla walls at yeah. home. Power walls. Uh-huh. Power walls, right? I thought that was just really some of the coolest technology. So I went and looked at those. I was like, I want one of these anyway. I mean, you can, you don't even need a generator in your house. It Like, you know, Dan's asking that, you know, how long do we have those? I mean, is that what we should be thinking about? Or is it truly just a plug? Or is it almost a power wall type product that comes into the house? And, for, for charging the car? Yeah. Or? Um, t- to me, you don't need a power wall project p- product to charge your car. Um, I mean, y- y- your 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 house has sufficient energy and power to charge most EVs. So I don't know that the power wall would be necessary unless you're trying to fuel your vehicle when the power's out. Maybe. Well, that, that was the other thing I heard too is that you could. <laughs> I, I get I get too deep into this, but I I do want to learn a little bit more about this. But it's uh, the power wall aspect of it. Yeah. I thought was some of the coolest technology. Well, I, I tell you, one of the one of the coolest things that's happened probably in the last two or three months is three manufacturers have announced what I'll call reverse flow capability, right? So now your your uh, your one F one fifty Lightning can be a backup generator for your house, right? And so that's the part I I wanted to go into just now, but I didn't know enough about it to say <laughs> anything. But that's what I had heard is that you yes. can do that. Yeah, yeah, you can absolutely. In fact, the 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 charging station that they provide you with the vehicle 
talks to your transfer switch. So when the power goes out, the, the transfer switch disconnects you from the grid and tells the vehicle to begin generating power to, to keep your house going. I mean, that is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, and, and you've got, it, it, it's 9.6 kilowatts, about 10 kilowatts, which is about 13 hours of power that'll come out of the come out 13 of 13 hours of power. It's 131 kilowatt hour battery yeah. in the uh, So, in the, so in the lightning. Glenn, what's... What does that mean? What's an average house consume? So give me average, like yeah. when the when the power goes out yeah. in Houston and I turn my my lightning to turn on my house, do I get everything for an hour? Do I get everything for two hours? So it depends on your house. So, you know, my house, I can't power everything. I can't turn it all on at one time. There's just too much. Right. I mean. I'm a glutton. I've got three air conditioners, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Houstonian. You've got yeah. If you're a Houstonian, there you go. Um, but you can get your essentials powered: one air conditioner, a refrigerator, a microwave, okay. uh, an internet router. You know, yeah. the, the, the the essentials of life these days. And you can run those things for you know ten plus hours okay. without a problem. So it's yeah. it's the real deal. Yeah. yeah. When we think about now, I'm thinking about the grid again, or yep. the the, sure. the charging network. Um, how big is it today in the U.S., and how big do you think it'll be in five or ten years? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the biggest part of our charging network is the, the part you don't see, and that's what's in everybody's homes, yep. right? So there's probably a million-plus chargers sitting in people's homes fueling vehicles today. Put that aside, in the public yeah, network, public. we have about 100,000 charging stations in the public network. Physical locations, the equivalent uh, of gas stations. Those would be, I don't, those aren't physical locations. Those are actual chargers. Okay, so So gas pumps. Yeah. Think of those Mm -hmm. gas pumps, right? Um, Most of those, say 90,000 of those, are level two chargers. So they charge your car at 20 or 30 miles per hour. So more slowly. The slower ones, Mm -hmm. yeah. About 20 or 30,000 of those are your superchargers, your DC fast chargers that can charge cars at hundreds of miles per hour. So that's kind of the breakdown. Um, the majority of our L2s are owned and controlled by ChargePoint. ChargePoint's put out more than anybody else. Now, they put them Char- out. ChargePoint, big public company. Big public now. company, yeah. They're a purveyor of charging equipment. Um, so you'll see their name on the equipment. They don't necessarily own and control it because they sold it to somebody who installs it that acts as the operator of that charger, such as your, your friend who owns gas station. Um, most of our DC fast chargers have been put in by Tesla. They're, they probably have about 60% of the chargers, maybe 50. Um, and your second is probably Electrify America. Okay. Yeah. And and so those 100,000 yep. locations or 100,000 chargers. 100,000 chargers. How fast is that going to grow? So it has been growing at about 6% per year. Six. Yep. Yeah. So which um, seems slow. It does to me too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty slow. So I think there's a lot of headroom to grow faster. Yeah. I th- you know the the challenge is going to be the economics. Um, it, it really is. Is you've got Isn't to put the government a, just going to pay for it though? Well, if, I think if that happens, you could see an acceleration. You could yeah. certainly see. I mean, to date, most of the chargers that have been built have been built on the back of some sort of a legal settlement or government program. Now I'm, I'm putting Tesla aside. Tesla's built it on. I guess you can call it cheap equity or mm-hmm. expensive equity, how you look at it. But they, they built it on a, a, big, a big equity asset. Um, Electrify America was built on a settlement between Volkswagen and EPA and CARB. Um, because of the diesel gate Diesel gate was built on the diesel mm-hmm. That's right. Um, EVgo was built on a settlement between NRG. Um, uh, state of California? State of California, yeah, CPUC, and then FERC, I think, if I remember correctly. So... There hasn't been a lot of ground-up activity from, like, your friend at the gas station, and part of it is because 
the economics are challenging. A, a gas pump is relatively inexpensive and has no fixed monthly operating cost. And it makes, you know, as you said, 5% margins. Right? Is it, is, I mean, I understand economics rule everything, but is it, is it some way, how many people like me do you run into on a daily basis that are hearing a lot of this for the first time? I mean, I would imagine that a lot of it, too, is just educating on what we're trying to do or, or what's happening. Yeah. Do you see that as part of the issue and the, the slow adoption? Um, I'm not, not trying to get you to answer for everybody out there. No, I mean, I think I think the people who are in the business are aware. Like, like I, I you know, I've, I've spoken at NACS, you know, the National Associate of Convenience Stores, and, and talked to Of course. To that I mean, who doesn't know NACS? Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> everybody does now. Those like NAEP. I didn't know NAEP, so yeah. I know NAEP. But NACS is the National Association of Convenience Stores. Mm -hmm. They're all your C-store guys, right? And they are very engaged and aware of this topic. But they look at the economics, and it doesn't make sense to them. They also look at... Um, you know, real estate, a lot of C-stores are not Bucky's. They're, they're small footprint stores. They don't have a lot of excess space. And there are distancing requirements between EV chargers and petroleum fueling, physical distances. So you don't spark and so blow things up. So you don't spark up. and blow something up, right? So you may find that a lot of small footprint C-stores have to decide gasoline or electric, yeah, what am I not gasoline be? and electric. Mm, that's right? interesting. Your, your bigger guys will have some flexibility because they've got the real estate. I've seen some stats that feels like it's more an, uh, an East Coast problem than a Texas problem. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Sorry. The, the stats I've seen on charging is that, you know, the Biden administration, the government, et cetera, would love to see that 100,000 mm -hmm. be 500,000 yep. pretty quickly. Yep. Are, there, are there any impediments? Are there any impediments to that happening? If the government said, here's all the money to do it, could, could you make that conversion in three, four, five years? Could you add? Yeah five times as much capacity? Um, I, I think your two impediments um, are real estate and utilities. So you've got to find willing real estate participants. I'm not sure that convenience stores are it. You may find that it's more grocery stores. Walmart and, parking and, yeah, lots. And, and there may be a different category to get the real estate you want. Mm -hmm. um, and then how fast can the utilities move? You, you, you know, because all this power has to It's not that we don't have enough power. I'm, I'm not worried about, you know, power plants. We've got plenty of power. But getting the power to the right place in the right quantities, um, you know, we put in utility orders sometimes on fast charging stations that can take six to nine months to get the utility work done. So that, that, that becomes a challenge. But once you get the money out of the way, those would be the two things. So real estate mm -hmm. and utilities. And utilities. Yeah. Thank you. You say we're doing this, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead on some of your questions, but when you, when you work with a customer yep. and you say, all right, we've, we're switching you from gas to electric mm -hmm. or, or taking you for whatever percentage, to go to that facility or office or whatever it is, it takes you nine months to get the utility people in there to help get the it, infrastructure set up? It, it, it depends. So the, the example I was given, I was giving you was from a very large, powerful DC fast charging station where we need to bring in two megawatts of power. That, that's a heck of a lot of power. Um, if you're talking about um, a depot with, that maybe starts with five or 10 vehicles, no, that, 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 that'll happen much faster. You may even have the power on site already to do that. Right, but at some point you run out of power on site, and you've got to bring in new service or additional capacity. That, that's that order point can run months in some cases to get what you need. So, Glenn, when we think about merge and what you're doing with your, your customers who are thinking about electrifying a fleet, you talked about the the cost savings. Yep. And, but I want to I want to nail that down. So help me understand: is it five percent or fifty percent, or where in where in the range? Sure. And then the other piece is. Is, is it all about the economics? You know, you hear some people dr that drive electric vehicles because they want to save the planet. Are they? Is there, are there carbon savings mm -hmm, here? Mm -hmm. 
Sure. So help us with that too. Yeah. So I, I would say that there, there's three main benefits of electrifying. It's it's economic, environmental, and experiential. Okay. So so economic. There is money to be saved. I would say, you know, on the order of twenty to forty percent. If you look at total cost of ownership. Um, of a fleet or a car? <coughs> of an individual's car or a fleet? Fleet. Okay. That's a lot yeah. of money. I mean, I, d I don't think we're there on the individuals because I can tell you the electric <laughs> vehicle I bought was a hell of a lot more expensive because <laughs> I would never have paid the I would I would never have paid the, the cost of the vehicle. The Tesla is like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. I'll pay up for it. Um, but... You're saying fleets could save me 20 well, to 40%. Well, and it depends on the vehicle, right? So um, right now, the price premiums in light-duty vehicles are kind of running 10 to 20%. Okay. Right. If you move into bigger vehicles, mediums, heavy buses, those premiums go to 80 to 100%. In that case, it doesn't work. So you have Ooh. to choose your vehicle wisely, right? The vehicle has to have enough utilization to pay back, and the vehicle has to have enough range to meet the mission. Right, so you just can't start electrifying things. You have to kind of step back and think about how do I use this vehicle? How much does the vehicle cost? What's my cost of electricity? What's the cost of gasoline? And really kind of rank order, right? Where's, where are the best ones to go for now? And which ones do we wait on and do later? And, so, that's, and that's some of the stuff that you help yeah, your customers Yeah, we, we, we do analytical assessments of telematics data to really figure out. Where, what, are, where, what are telematics? Uh, sorry. That's, yeah. Uh, sorry. Um, if he wasn't going to ask it, I was going to ask a, it. A lot of fleets have uh, pull, pull real-time data from their vehicles. How far are they driving? Where are they driving? How fast? So Big Brother is watching. Uh, a little bit, bit, yeah. Yeah, so there's uh, a, a lot of, uh, I, won't say, I won't say all, but certainly a, a large majority of fleet vehicles have telematics on them where they collect that data. We're able to um, ingest that data, look at it, and assess which vehicles have um, the best TCO savings, the best emissions reduction, and the least operational risk to go to go electrify. Right. So, so you want to electrify your whole fleet. You'll you'll pick and choose the right vehicles. <clears throat> Over time, as new vehicles come out, more range, lower cost, more opportunity to do more electric. So, so that's a, the economics piece. Yes, that's the economics piece. <clears throat> and then the environmental piece, um, I would say. 60 to 90 percent emissions reduction it depends on where you are in the country and where you get your electricity from so in texas we're blessed with a lot of renewables overnight with wind <clears throat> that gives us a really good emissions profile you're probably closer to the 80 percent in the east coast we're still 80 percent 80 percent emissions reductions from okay. gasoline <clears throat> in the east coast less renewables you're probably closer to the 50 or 60 percent okay. on the emissions reduction so yeah there, there's demonstrable emissions reductions, does that convert into economic value? In most parts of the country, no. In California, yes. There okay. are California credits for LCFS that aren't available in other parts of the country. For What's LCFS? Sorry, low carbon fuel standard. So that's a, uh, a credit that if you reduce carbon output, you get a credit. For okay, it, you, get, back. you get money you in get some form or fashion. Yeah. And, and so economics, <laughs> environmental, environmental and now... Experiential. experiential. I mean, yeah, that almost feels a little <laughs> sort of R-rated for a podcast. But yeah. t tell us, about what, what do you mean by experiential? Well, th those are the things that you couldn't have done without electric. So once you have an always-on electric platform, there could be new products and services that you can deliver to your customer or you can allow your employees to do to increase productivity or change processes. So... If I've got power with me everywhere I go, that probably makes me more productive. That allow, may allow me to do things I wasn't able to do before.
A true um, mobile office. A true mobile office, yeah. Or, a, you know, I mean, I can run air compressors. I can run table saws. I can run, you know, power equipment. You know, there's, I think there's all sorts of possibilities here of the, the new ways people can use, or the new ways businesses can use electrification in order to change their processes and, in some cases, their products. What's an ideal... <clears throat> customer look like? I mean, what? <laughs> um, I, I'd say um, light duty um, light duty vehicle. Right now, preferably sedans because we don't have vans and trucks. Um, we, the industry. The industry. Yeah. We, we don't have broad availability of vans and trucks yet. We have lots of sedans and vehicle uh, uh, passenger cars. Um, like to see more than 18,000 miles a year to feel pretty confident that there's a payback. Any outside salesperson knows exactly what that <laughs> there, is. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, if we get much over 150 miles a day, I could get a little bit a little bit worried that we'd have a, um, you know, so a you cold a, day, hot day problem. So you have a heavy urban salesperson or I should, I'm, a, I'm a sales guy. That's why I go to that. But, I mean, a, a really a heavy urban driving person that's staying local. Because so you're talking about 150 miles. That's going to be in one general area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. So, that, 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 that right now, I think <clears throat> that's kind of the sweet spot for us is finding, you know, fleets. And, and I'd say, you know, fleets have 100 to 1,000 vehicles. So, that's a pretty pretty wide range. Do you think we're going to see the, you know, I'm thinking about the, the cable companies and the guys who have... Yep. Yep. Tens of thousands of vehicles across the country. Absolutely. Are they are they thinking about this? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I know for a fact AT and T is AT and T is the largest owner of light duty fleet vehicles. Sixty five thousand of them that come to your home and do cable and everything else. Um, but mostly vans and trucks. Mm -hmm. So we need vans and trucks, and we need a lot of them. Um, I think in some cases they can take van a van and put it into maybe what they call a, a compact SUV. <coughs> um, you know, the guy who comes to fix your router, maybe he doesn't need ladders on top because he's not installing anything. So they may find opportunities to get some vehicles in there. But, but ultimately, again, vans and trucks are the workhorse of the industry. And to get your, your cable company, your electrician, your plumber, you know, the, the, they are the heart of the home services industry, and they need trucks and vans. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 Glenn, <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm the guy that shows up and says, I want to do it, I want to mm -hmm. do it right now, how long is it going to take me? How, What's the timeline from calling you to yep. say, help me, yep. to, to being done? When you say done, their fleet completely converted? <laughs> well, or, or at least yeah, my, my they're driving. My 50-car fleet. Yeah, yeah. so um, if, if, if you've got a 50-car fleet, I would say we can get you started on the first, say, five vehicles within three months. Vehicles are tough to come by. That's our challenge. Right now. Right now. Just any vehicle, but even electrics, of course, are a subset of any vehicle these days. So I think in all reality, to get your all 50 converted, you're probably talking about 18 months. So now I remember my question I was going to ask earlier. Perfect. Yeah. Good. It, you're, the business was started during COVID. Yes. So you really don't know post-COVID supply chains yet, we do you? Okay. No. No. So I wonder, um, there's, you have, there's no history on how quickly that could go from 4 to 40. Yeah, we, right? we don't know. It, yeah. it, it's a real uncertainty. And, you know, in, in, in the 10 years I've been in EVs, it's always about one thing, the vehicles. When are we going to get the vehicles, and when are they going to be? Here? Well, now I, I want to know, a little off topic, but more, all the most, the more interesting is, what is it like starting this type of business in the middle of COVID? I mean, mm. the middle of absolute chaos. Yeah. I, I think our benefit as a team, we were already working together, and we knew each other, so that, that really helped us a, a lot. Um, we, we, we really built the opportunity at the intersection of 
ESG pressures mounting on companies, and we, we were seeing fleet-capable vehicles coming. Yeah. <clears throat> the challenge is that the dates we had in mind have moved. What time right? frame are you talking about when you say we saw this and we decided this is what we wanted to do? Um, I think originally we talked about this fleet opportunity in 2019. We probably talked to Dan about it in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, January? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly, like, what, what time of before COVID, January 2020? It yeah. was it was pre-COVID, yeah. but so before March, yeah, but but it got remote pretty fast. It did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think the challenge is that you know we we built a business assuming we should already have trucks. We would have had trucks last year, right? And we probably don't have volumes of trucks until you know good volumes of reliable trucks until 2024. So you think COVID has actually pushed out trucks from 21 <laughs> to 24 now? I, I wouldn't say it's exclusively COVID. Yeah, COVID yeah, certainly okay. has a big piece of it. But yeah, I think I think we've we've pushed out you know those dates two to three years. Then I got one more one more leadership question. What what was it like leading in the middle of all this? I mean, were you guys remote? Were you together? How did you bring? How did you build a culture? I mean, what what was that like? Yeah, to... it's interesting. We're we're a hundred percent remote. Um, really, we we don't even have a physical office. Yeah, we we may get one in the future, but our employees are are scattered around the country, which which has you know. Risks and benefits. Um, we the core team has worked together a long time, so we kind of have a working culture already. I think the challenge is as we bring on new employees, how do we how do we extend that culture right. in a world that's completely remote? And and it's an interesting question of what's the next world going to look like, right? How how remote will it be? Will it be hybrid? Um, you know, I think you can get the best talent without any constraints. But you don't necessarily get the most out of your talent unless they're working together. And yeah. I think I think that's the the balance that we're trying to figure out right now. That's real. I I did not know you guys didn't have a physical office, but you were 100 percent remote. We're 100 percent remote. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Glenn. There's a big question mark in this space around autonomy and driverless vehicles <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, is that a do you think that's a reality, and when, and, and does it change your business at all? Does it change fleets? Is it just a bunch of cars driving around? Or? No. Well, I think it depends on, on the fleet as to what the impact of autonomy is. So um, if, if we go back to our Amazon example, you know, a, a autonomy may be able to drive the vehicle, but it's going to be tough to get it to take the package from the vehicle to the porch, right? Mm-hmm. So there's certain use cases, I think, that are stronger on autonomy early, and I would call those kind of curbside use cases. Um, if you guys have seen the neuro vehicles running around, to me, that's great. It's a low-speed, autonomous, passengerless vehicle. Um, it has low risk. If something goes wrong, nobody's going to get hurt. Um, if you run into it or it runs into you, you're not going to have a fatality involved. Are these the ones delivering pizzas and <laughs> the stuff? The ones that are delivering pizzas, <laughs> okay. yeah. The, yeah the, the no- like, avoid the noise. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think it's important, and I, I think neuro and, and others like them have, have approached us in a good way, is let's Let's start with safe use cases that people can be comfortable with, which is, in this case, low-speed curbside delivery. Um, personally, I'm not ready to get into a 6,000-pound car going 80 miles an hour down the Katy Freeway in autonomous mode. I, I don't think the technology is there yet. I don't think it's ready, and I, I, I'm not in a position where I would trust it yet. But there is an awful lot of use cases where low-speed autonomy can add a ton of value and do a lot of things for us. The line that uh, Musk says is that in 10 years, there won't, you know, well, we have driverless cars. He says in 10 years, you won't have steering wheels. That's yeah. Do do you believe that, though? I do not. Okay. I so not. you're, you're going to take the over. I have a Tesla Model 3, and I, you know, I, I do use autopilot, but my hands are on the wheel. Yeah. I, I would not fall asleep at the wheel. And I feel trust it to, I'm on your camp on that one. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, 
there's tons of autonomous opportunity, you know, parking, low speed material handling, you know, there's all sorts of interesting things that can be done to increase confidence in the technology over time. Dan, let me ask you this question. I, it's, you brought up a good point. When you think of batteries, battery electric vehicles, yeah. you think of driverless cars. I mean, that's kind of what it's been, all this technology can do this. And then I think some of the fear of that is, well, you're not going to need the driver anymore because you do think of that large semi EV, their, their cab isn't even there, right? It's just a, yeah. it's just towing or it's driving mm -hmm. with nobody in there. And then, it, so that immediately makes the guy think, well, that's a job that isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's important to note <laughs> that that's not really the case. I mean, there, you, you are an expert and you're saying that you don't even believe it'll be there in that amount of time. Yeah, no, I, I, I the um, I listened to the fourth quarter earnings call for Tesla, and I would take the over on Tesla's ability to deliver full self-driving. Um, it, it scares me at this point. There's a wide spectrum of believers between never happen to happening soon. Yeah. Um, that's why I asked Glenn because you're smarter than me on this, <laughs> and you're taking the over on on getting in the passenger car, driving at high speeds. Yeah. Absolutely. Glenn, we've used, I and mean, we've talked about Tesla, we've talked about yep. Rivian, we've talked about EVs a lot. Um, so let's talk about them a little bit more. Sure. When you think about this, Tesla is the name on everyone's lips. It's the, it's the kind of every man knows about Tesla. They may yep. not have ridden in one, but they know about them. Can anybody catch up to Tesla? Um, yeah, I think the incumbents will eventually catch up with Tesla. It, it's going to take some time. Um, you know, Tesla. Time by, like five years, time like two years. Oh, uh, no, five. Okay. I, I think. Um, that is no time at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think it, I think it's going to be five. From a technology perspective, I've been very impressed at how quickly, in particular, Ford has moved. Um, I recently drove a Polestar, was, came away who, very Who impressed. is Polestar? It's another brand. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's sold through most Volvo dealerships in the U.S. That's how they distribute. Uh, but very impressive vehicle, very well put together. So. I, I do think that um, people, uh, uh, the incumbents are catching up quickly, um, so quickly that I think that the window of opportunity for a lot of the startups could be closing now, right? It, you know, you've got to get some scale and some brand to sustain in the auto industry. And it's taken Tesla arguably 10 years, mm -hmm. right, to, to get enough brand power for somebody to stroke a you know, $50,000, $100,000 check. Um, and now you're a brand new upstart trying to get in here, and you're going to go head to head with Porsche, Audi, Lexus. Yeah. I mean, all, all the big names are going to be there. It's going to be tough to get space in in in, in that in those segments. Um, now, not to say there aren't interesting subsegments to get into. Um, there there are certainly specialty electric vehicles. I saw recently that Arrival is going to build a specialty vehicle for Uber and rideshare, right? Designed for purpose. That's kind of how Rivian got in. Rivian built a designed for purpose van for Amazon for last mile delivery. So I think there'll be niches that people will be able to get into. And the beauty of electric is you don't need the kind of scale you would have traditionally needed as a, as a, as a traditional you know, gasoline auto manufacturer. So you can get away with smaller scale. But I think to, tech on, to take on Tesla, who's I think over a million vehicles a year now, um, you're, yeah, going to, you're going to have to have the scale that an incumbent has. I don't mm -hmm. think you're going to do that as a, as a startup. So. Okay, and 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 so Tesla's in the lead. Yep, the big guys are catching up quickly. So this is not going to be one of those. Uh, oh yeah, remember when everybody thought Tesla was going to be? You think they're here to stay as well? I do believe Tesla's here to stay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
switch gears a little bit. Sure. So we've pushed you on fleets and EVs and charging. So our podcast is Energy in Transition. Mm-hmm. You've been around. You've lived in Houston for a long time. You've been around the energy business and power business for a long time. How do you think about energy transition? Sure. And, you know, tell us where you're different than you think consensus is. Okay. Um, so to me, putting, you know, kind of putting my electric vehicle hat to the side for a second. Yep. Our objective here is all about, you know, reducing carbon intensity. I mean, Who's I, our objective? The uh, objective of energy of transition? Okay. Yeah, of, of, I think the objective of energy transition is to decarbonize okay. our economies our, our, and our sources of energy. Um, and it was actually uh, David Heikinen who, who told me two first principles, which I still think are great. One is we must decarbonize the energy sector. And two is we must eliminate energy poverty. Right? And you must do those together. So you can't just decarbonize and increase costs for everybody. That's not going to work, right? We've got to decarbonize <clears throat> in a way that brings costs down and makes energy more readily available to everyone, right? It can't just be for the, for the privilege. So uh, to, to me, um, to do that, we've got to make sure that, the, and, and I think others have said this, that, that perfect doesn't become the enemy of the good, right? There are good solutions out there that we should adopt because they're readily available. Such as natural gas. You know, some some people that I work with demonize natural gas. Natural gas is a wonderful substance, right? It's a lot cleaner than coal. Um, it enables hybridization of big trucks, of trains, <coughs> substantial reductions in and uh, CO2 intensity of a lot of, of a lot of different things. Um, and to me, it's it's one of the all of the above, right? We, okay. We've we've got to be open to looking at a variety of solutions, not just those perfect solutions, right? I mean, generating power with natural gas, capturing the carbon and sequestering it and putting it, that power in an EV is a great thing. I am all for it, right? But there's a lot of folks who don't want natural gas-generated power. And I think it's an unrealistic outcome to achieve the, out, to, to achieve the carbon reduction outcome we want at a reasonable cost over this 30-year period. We, we don't have a miracle to go solve this problem right now. Let's take the steps we know we can take to make a difference and keep cost in control. And I think natural gas is one of those. So you, you bring up a point where you say the, some people in my industry yeah. demonize it. Just like some people in, uh, in other industries that they don't understand are going to demonize it, right? You, yep. There's any other, you can find two people to yell at each other just cool. to, in any room you go into these days. Yep. So... I, I wonder, one, or one of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast, the Energy in Transition, is we felt very strongly that any solutions, real solutions, are going to come from the energy business, right? There's the, the mm-hmm. traditional energy business, oil and gas, natural gas, et cetera, because they do know how to, to come up with solutions. Absolutely. Okay, so I, when you say there's people in my industry, who, who are those people? I mean, where, where are those people coming from? Are they... I mean, what type of people are those? And when you say my industry, mm-hmm. is that the EV industry? Yeah, I think the, well, the EV charging industry. industry? Yeah, I, okay. think, I think on the EV side, EVs can be a little bit purist, right? They don't even like pluggable hybrids. Right? They like pure electric. Um, and and uh, look, I, I, academically, I love pure electric, but there's the practicalities of this, right? It can't solve all the use cases. So we need other solutions, right? We need hybridization. We need natural gas. 
renewables are great, but they're intermittent. We need reliable power, right? We, we can't just have the lights go off when the wind quits blowing. That's not going to work for anybody. So until we can get to uh, other things like hydrogen, you know, make, make hydrogen economic, find a clean way to produce it, um, natural gas and other solutions like that are, are good transition fuels, and we should be taking advantage of them wherever we can. Um, you know, we have two cars in our house. We have an all-electric and we have a pure gasoline. Our next car will be a pluggable hybrid because my wife is not ready to have a pure electric. But 30 miles a day, all-electric is great, but she just wants that confidence of gasoline. Well, you That's might not be, a problem. You might be That's going okay. to Colorado next year. We might be going to Colorado yeah. with the whole family, absolutely. But one point you hit on I really like is th this industry, the, the, the traditional energy industry, is, is a powerhouse, right? It's a powerhouse that has delivered decades of you know, declining real cost of energy and continuous centuries, innovation, yeah. even centuries, right? And, and Dan, this is one of the things that you and I first talked about is when I think about energy transition, there are opportunities for traditional energy to help new energy and new energy to help traditional energy. It, it goes in both directions, right? The, the, the power that this industry has to, to develop projects and develop technology and roll things out is, is amazing. Um, and on, in the other direction, I'm trying to put electric vehicles into the oil field. Right, it, 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 and, it, and it is going to take everybody rowing together Love for it. a common goal. You and know, that's what we need. that is exactly what we need. And that is the whole mission of this podcast is, is really to move an actual needle, as we described it when we were getting ready, just building the thesis for this. It is, you know, who, I have a very strong principle that I'd rather I like to get things right, not be right. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah. who's going to win? If I'm right, and you're wrong. Yeah. No, neither of us. No, exactly. exactly. Right. And, the, and the, the answer is you're right. John Berger's right. There's a lot of rightness in both of these arguments. And there's a lot of rightness in this room. Yeah, and absolutely. how do you combine these two? Because nothing turns off tomorrow. Nothing yeah. turns on tomorrow. So yeah. how do you take the best knowledge of this side, the best knowledge of your side, as you called it, my, you know, I'll call this my side, if you yeah. will. Uh, the answer is more conversations like this Ooh. and more understanding of what you're talking about. Yeah. There's just a lot of unknowns, you know. Because, again, I think when people think of battery-operated EV cars, they think, driverless vans are taking jobs from, you know, my friends. Yeah. Yeah. No time soon. Yeah. No time soon. But I'm excited to see the renewables pavilion at night, right? That's great. Your cars are down here, by yeah. the way. We got EVs on the yeah. floor. I mean, it's, uh, you know, t to me, that's what it's all about is how, how do we work together? How, how do we leverage the incredible, you know, creativity and, and, and power of the energy industry in new energy, mm -hmm. right? I, what, you know, I mean, if we're going to go sequester carbon, who better to do it than the people who get carbon out of the ground to put it back in the ground and figure out how to keep it there? Right? So I asked you this off air. You've never done a podcast before. I have never done a podcast. And what, how are you enjoying this experience? Aren't we, aren't we great? Very conversational. This is just like. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think John Berger did an excellent job talking about his product, his service, his industry. Yeah. He's, he's a solar guy. Yeah. He's so, a so, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, if there's a there's a great oil field 360 episode where he was on it and just did an excellent job, um, and plus he's he's all over YouTube. But it, it, you're doing an excellent job. Who is a who is a spokesman for your world on this electrification of fleets? I mean, who's who do you think is doing a good job where hmm. the audience could listen to this podcast and then at the same time go investigate some other information and and learn more of what you're talking about? Is there anybody that does a great job that you feel is worth highlighting? On fleets specifically, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I, I don't so know. So it's you. I mean, there's, there's plenty of folks who speak about electrification more generally, but I think of fleet specific. I, I can't think of anybody who's very fleet focused. Right I now. mean, it, it doesn't fleet feel like the natural place for EVs to go right away? 
for, for mid-volume? It, it feels that way. I, I think the challenge is that the auto industry starts with consumers. You know, when, and when they, when they started the individual selling consumers, individual right. consumers is when they started selling you know, the Leaf and the Tesla back in 2011. They were consumer-focused, and they've, they've pretty much been consumer-focused. I'd argue the first one to aggressively move towards fleet um, is Ford. Uh, Ford has made a very aggressive move for electric fleet with the Ford Pro series. Uh, I, I haven't seen any other automaker yet be as aggressive on fleet. Uh, and, and is that, Glenn, because the first vehicles, need <clears throat> they need to be expensive to generate some margin, so you, you put more batteries in and higher range, mm -hmm. and you don't need those for fleet. Individuals will pay for them. And so you wind up focused on individuals uh, yeah, first. Yeah, I think I think that's it's a good hypothesis, right? If if you, if you look at the way they sometimes launch products, they go after the prosumers first with you know the, the ultra high end. Yeah. And, and if you look at what Ford has done with the F one fifty Lightning, most of the volume sits in the Lariat Platinum XLT, and less volume down on the pro side. So it could Wait, very so well higher be price point hi higher price well. point vehicles. Yeah. yeah. So that 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 could be just the the economics drive them in that direction. Mm -hmm. Glenn, you. You brought some electric vehicles to NAEP, mm -hmm. which is a traditionally oil and gas audience. You mentioned that you're talking to some oil and gas customers. Yep. Um, what's the reception? Is is it a skeptical, dirty look kind of thing? Or is it a, this is where the world's going and we might as well get on board? What, how, how, how are you being received yeah. by the traditional oil patch? I, I mean, generally in the conversation, we've had very well received. I, I think there's a not... Not if, but when conversation. Um, they, they know it's going to happen, um, but it's just a question of when. Very um, grounded and reasonable questions as to, well, how far does it go? What can it do? What can it do? Can it hold up on a lease road? Right? Very simple questions um, and, and, and very reasonable questions for people to ask. So I think there's a genuine openness to doing it. And as soon as we can get trucks, I, I think we're going to start moving. I so, can tell you that Nape was excited about it. We, we talked to them. They were very, I mean, it was it was not a hard sell to get these cars here on the floor. I mean, this is something that they've never done before, uh, the Renewables Pavilion. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah, I didn't know that. Exactly. Great. I mean, this yeah, is, great. so you have a, I truly believe you that the, you know, you have a an audience that's open to listening, wanting to listen. I, I did get some of the stats of the NAEP visitors. There's more first-time visitors at NAEP this year than ever before. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. That's a that's a lot of new people coming to listen to new ideas. Sure, Glenn, we've covered a lot of ground. What ground haven't we covered? Hmm. What what are what are things that you think are interesting <clears throat> that we haven't talked about yet? Teach us, oh wise. Oh, I don't know. You, you guys have you guys <laughs> hit some great topics: supply chain and uh, and general energy transition, um, uh, vehicle availability, charging. Um, Okay. Sounds like we, we did a good job with our, our Q&A list. Yeah. So um, when we'll let you plug Merge a little bit, which sure. is how do we find out more <laughs> about Merge? Is there a website? or? Sure. Yeah, it's mergefleet.com. Um, and, again, our objective is to help fleets electrify. Um, you know, we, we, we begin by helping them build a plan because you've got to think vehicle by vehicle about how you're going to do it. Uh, we've got deployment operation services to go implement that plan for them and performance management to ensure that, um, you know, the, the outcome is what the plan is. That you, you get what you plan for from both an emissions and cost savings perspective. So, Great. Yeah. Well, um, I love lightning rounds. I, I can't wait oh, to do no. this. I love lightning <laughs> I love rounds. Oh, no. And I was so hoping you were going to do this. <laughs> in, in 
in almost every panel format that I that I moderate. I don't let people elaborate on their answers, so I'm going to ask you yes or no questions or one answer question, one one word answers. Yes, exactly. And so bear with me. Some of this has nothing to do with your profession, (laughs) and some of it, I'm just curious to the answers. So, um, and and Josh, I want you to answer too. Okay. Okay. At least on some of them. So, okay. Um, Coffee or tea? Tea. Espresso. Okay. Ready Player One or The Matrix? The Matrix. The Matrix. Bitcoin or Ethereum? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Ah. New York City or Miami? New York City. Miami. Oh. Golf or skiing? Skiing. Uh, s- golf. Okay. Hamburgers or pizza? Hamburger. Pizza. <laughs> you guys aren't going to be in the same lines <laughs> very frequently. Okay. Uh, puppies or kittens? Puppies. Puppies. United Airlines or Southwest Southwest Airlines? Southwest. I love United. Okay. <laughs> They're a sponsor of the show. Oh, okay. Ah, there Boom. There we go. Um, th- there was no answer other than that yeah, one for, for you, Josh. That United was the right, that was right answer. That's right. Okay. Um, Glenn, Glenn meant to say United. Too. I did, too, There we sorry. go. Yeah, okay. Bullish or bearish, S&P 500 for 2022? Bearish. Uh, bearish. Okay. Wind or solar? Solar. Solar. Tesla or Rivian? Rivian. I, I, Tesla. <laughs> it depends on the topic. But the okay. He, thought, he, had, he had real thought behind yes, it. I can yeah. only think of the cool yeah, Tesla you car. Just, you just went the opposite <laughs> yeah. direction. Um, Ford F-150 or Ford Lightning? Oh, Lightning. That's easy. Lightning. You know, since you've the, – the cool part is that it can power the house. I'll go with the Lightning. I don't right. think it's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> Plus, I want to see one. Yes. There you go. Now, the, now it gets tougher. Will the U.S. government hit its goal of buying only EVs by 2035? Yes no. or no? I, I mean, when has the government hit its goal at anything? Okay. Will we have 500,000 public chargers by 2030? That's the government goal. Yes. Up from 100. You yes. say yes. I say yes. I, I say yes just because of the amount of, if we can get supply chain figured out, right? And if they keep, they put money sure. into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're breaking the lightning round rules Sorry, with... Man. with Comments. The espresso. That's okay. That's okay. The espresso yeah. had espresso. He broke little... it on the first question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, will Tesla make more than 5 million cars in a year within the next decade? No. No. Okay. Will, I'm following the leader on that Will one. EV batteries move away from lithium-ion within the next five years? Yes or no? No. Within the next 10 years? No. You don't have to answer. I, I yeah. Don't you, you don't get to answer. <laughs> no. and, and my final lightning round question for you two Houston residents. Will the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl in the next decade? Oh, man. No, no. I don't think so. Damn. I've been here 50 years. And I don't. Yeah. Glenn, one of the things that, that Josh asked you was, is there a spokesman for kind of the fleet electrification process? And, and the answer is probably not. But... I'm nominating you to be the I'm face of the industry. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm you, you know a lot, and I feel so much smarter having talked to you about these topics, and, and we really appreciate you making the time to be with oh, us, yeah. and we wish you the best of luck with Merge, and hopefully you'll come back in a year or two, and, and we'll find out how things have progressed. I, I appreciate being here. I hope to be here next year with two F-150s, lightnings on the floor. That's there we go. Mean. And did we promote his uh, website here? I want to make sure we do that for him. We so did. It's, it's we did. Mergefleet.com. Yep, right, good. we did. Good. We did. 
Uh, yeah. It has been awesome. I, I'm again. I'm on the outside looking in on this, so this was truly educational for me. Right. And I appreciate. You. And to his point, you do an excellent job of uh, presenting this information in a way that it, it it feels very much like there's a there's solutions needed for everybody. And I, I know people appreciate that. So that's going to wrap us up for today. Great. This is uh, Glenn. This well, is truly appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. It was Dan, fabulous. I know you're busy, man. Thank you for your time Great. and, Josh, and your commitment to the Energy and Transition Podcast. Uh, again, my name is Josh Lauer. If you have any questions, look us up at uprightdigital.com. Uh, Sarah Miller can answer any of your questions if you have comments about getting on the show or uh, just in general Q&A. Uh, look us up. Look us up on all our social media and LinkedIn and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. That wraps up from today. Gentlemen, thank you. Good luck to you all. Good luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.